Welcome to the Unriveted Podcast, where we talk about technology initiatives like artificial intelligence, digital transformation, and people. This episode is brought to you by the Substack, What Did OpenAI Do This Week? From there, John, I believe we have a guest. Would you like to do the intro? All right. Thanks, Martin. We do indeed have another guest on in rivet, uh, unriveted, not in riveted, unriveted today. We are unriveted. Kevin, we are unriveted ourselves. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Kevin Dominic Corte, who has a uh, proverbial laundry list of accomplishments and roles uh, as a Member of the Board of Advisors for Moxie, a board treasurer for Jacobs University Foundation of America, also a seed investor, president of uh, Uninvention or Uni Univention, maybe I'm saying that wrong. Uh, but anyway, quite an impressive background for today's guest with Kevin. Uh, so as our traditional approach is, uh, we'll turn it over to you, Kevin, to give us a little background information and tell us about yourself and who you are and uh, what you've been working on and what interests you in, uh, you know, the particular uh, particular subject matter of Unriveted, uh, which I think digital transformation might be up there in the top, but I won't take words out of your mouth. Uh, we'll turn it over to you and we'll see where the conversation takes us. So thank you, Kevin. Thank you, John, for having me. And it's Univention, so your second attempt okay. was really good. <laughs> Perfect. And yes, uh, digital transformation is probably the bigger part, along with cybersecurity, of my day job at Univention. And what we do is all our day's work starts the same probably at the office. We get coffee and then we sit down at the computer and log in once at the operating system, once for the email, once for everything else. And we kind of put <laughs> that together. And... <laughs> Yeah, make sure you only have to log in once and not remember 50 different passwords. Right, right. Good, good. So digital uh, identity management, which I think most people are familiar with in some sense if they work for a large organization like uh, uh, Microsoft, uh, Azure, I believe, uh, Okta, uh, which is another big one. Um, so how did you get involved uh, in that field, I guess? And uh and a further layer to that question, what changes do you see happening to that field now with all of the developments in generative AI uh, or AI in general, I guess, um, which would be interesting. So getting in happened during, what, my college years, kind of. And now me saying that it was the same time that Facebook first started to branch out, tells mm -hmm. you how old or not old I am. <laughs> and... That really got me thinking about, okay, what do we control about our data? Who controls it? And our identity, both in terms of who we are, but also how it's all connected from our Facebook account to our email, from there on to our work email, whether it's via LinkedIn or anything else, kind of who we are as a whole, that got me into the identity management field and then narrowed down to that little subset of, corporate identity management because that's where the money is, but also where <laughs> you can still make a huge difference because 
corporation have the nice ability to tell their employees what to do or not to do, which is even at home with kids, <laughs> I sometimes have a feeling everyone is telling me what to do, not the other <laughs> way around. Uh, kids have a way of telling their parents uh, exactly what they want them to do. It doesn't mean the parents necessarily have to <laughs> listen to their kids. Although some you don't do, have to so. comply. Yes, <laughs> that is true. That is true. Hey, Kevin, I have an urgent request for you. I just sent you an email and it has a link on it and it has a sense of urgency. I just received a communication. I've got 10 billion US dollars sitting in a foreign bank. All I have to do is click this link, enter my social security number, the last four of my credit card. Oh yes, and the CVV number. Are we? Did you get that email? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. But if you want to know my first model and make of the car, the name of my best friend, you probably can find those already on Facebook. So you really whoever sent that email is doing a lot too much work. Awesome. Awesome. My next uh, social engineering for you is, hey, would you mind uh, showing us what's in your wallet? Uh, I have to find my wallet. <laughs> but uh, it's probably the same tracking device we all carry around, uh, which is a credit card. So right, right, right. You know, it's. Uh, um, I think it's. It's actually now that we're on this subject, it's pretty timely because Martin and I just recorded a, a podcast uh, right. Well, a few days ago, but the last one we recorded that was just the two of us talking about um, the use of individuals information as uh, training data for chat GPT. So I'm sure you're familiar with chat GPT. And now there is a class action lawsuit. I believe it's in the state of Illinois. I could be wrong. I remember reading Illinois on there. It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, we can review it that. Was later. Cal it was Northern California, California or it is okay. in Northern, Northern District of California federal court. And so it's a class action suit, John. And, you know, it, it seems like we forget what we had for breakfast this morning, but that's okay. Right, right. Well, my memory is just not what it used to be uh, since uh, my birthday last week. So, you know, like a flip of a switch. Anyway, uh, so there is a class action lawsuit of a handful of people, I guess they're canvassing for more to join this class action lawsuit of people that are upset that they believe their personal uh, information, information that they willingly supplied to social media websites was used as a training data input in data set for ChatGPT. And now they're suing OpenAI, the creators of ChatGPT and, and Microsoft, the owners of OpenAI. So thinking about that in terms of identity management, uh, and obviously I'm glossing over the details of the case, which I probably don't know all of them. What are your thoughts on uh, the legality of that? You know, should these people have known better? Do they have a case? You know, how, how are things like this going to impact identity management in the future? I think whether they have a case probably depends on the lawyer and the judge they find, as with so many <laughs> things. Unfortunately, it's a point from my my point of view would be to say, okay, look at the little link we are clicking when we sign up, I accept the terms and conditions. And most websites have very nice terms for them that whatever you put in there from 
your social media data down to your search history on on your web shop that uh, all belongs to the provider and if they want to sell it to OpenAI, tough mm -hmm. luck. So it's <laughs> always the thing of uh, the data protection agreement doesn't really protect your data, it protects the company from lawsuits. So mm -hmm. from that point of view, hmm. whether it's moral is a different question, but it's probably legal. So Right, right. Agreed. Yeah, I think they knew what they were getting themselves into. But most of us, when we are presented with a terms of service or service agreement, we just scroll through and click the button and uh, who knows what is put in there. We may we may owe Elon Musk a jelly donut the first Monday of every week and everyone's been skipping out on that. You know, they could just slide that, you know, as a added bullet point in there. So yeah, there, um... there's a famous story where, where some some company had a giveaway in there. The first person who called a number or sent an email to an address got what, ten thousand dollars, and it took like four years till someone claimed the money. It's like the the Pepsi challenge, right? Was that the Pepsi challenge where they they said with uh, like four million Pepsi points you can get a Harrier jet? Uh, there was a documentary on it. We don't have to yeah. go down that path, but I, yes. Yeah. You know, someone, as soon as someone finds a loophole, which I don't know if that's a loophole, but just bad marketing in that situation, someone will find a way to, uh, uh, work against you it's, very it quickly. It might take a while, but yeah, someone will at some point find it. <laughs> Perfect. Evan, um, if I can chime in here. In your in your um, illustrious career around uh, security CISO type work, have you ever come across a case where you had to deal with ransomware? And if you have, how did you approach it and deal with it? Thankfully, not myself, but we have clients who have attacks, and um, normally we then come in after it's happened after they got the security cleanup team through it. And we get into the question, okay, how do we prevent the next one? And it's honestly, a lot of times it's how do we educate people? How do we gamify cybersecurity? How do we make it really easier for the employees? Because with what 80% or so persistently being related to an employee or a customer who has access and 80% of attacks have a human component. So tackling the human component is always easier than to tackle it on any technology level because I'm lazy. Most of us are <laughs> lazy. So we find a way to work around all the technical limitations. And um, one of my favorite part about identity management, when I tell people, if you say the minimum password length is eight characters, I guarantee you 99% of your passwords are eight characters. So mm -hmm. that's um, <laughs> just how we work. You mentioned something interesting there, and I, you know, I'm, I've always been kind of fascinated by this topic and its broad range of applications that I think are underutilized, but could potentially have a lot of uh, impact on social change. I don't want to say social engineering because that sounds like manipulative, but anyway, you know, getting people to do a particular task or, or feel like, you know, mentally obligated to. So you mentioned gamification. Um, and I'm interested in that. Like, how do you, how do you take something that's not technically a game 
but add game elements to it uh, in order to encourage participation or uptake. So you said something, I believe, about that applying to this case. Um, so do you have any examples of, of that being used of uh, in the field or something similar? So in that particular case, what they did before they had a breach, they, as most corporations do, they send like these test emails out with a, oh, click here on the link to reset your password or to download our latest internal report and got people then into the remedial training, which we all love and always pay high attention to. Mm -hmm. And uh, still someone clicked on the link in the end and uh, downloaded some, I think it was at that point, a credential stealing algorithm, which went into the computer and tried to read it out. Um, yeah, so they <laughs> went away from doing these test emails and instead monitored on a weekly basis how many people moved genuine spam into the spam folder. And then on Friday evening, you got the notification, hey, you're place one or you're place 550. And here's the leaderboard with the top 10 people. And mm -hmm. in the end, they had considerably more success with that because people wanted to see them to be up. Um, mm -hmm. And that... I feel like I've won some of these <laughs> contests, Kevin, where maybe I was on the leaderboard <laughs> of clicking the most links that got me to uh, some security violation. And then somebody called me and said, did you know you, and then my did you know you clicked on something you shouldn't have? And then, you know, they lock my computer out and then I have to call on a 1-800 call IT number and say, hey, I'm locked out. I didn't do anything wrong, did I? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's the other authority scams and kind of who's in charge. And that's one of the other parts we do is kind of corporate branding. Because if all your IT looks the same way and comes from the same location or same domain, or you have the same point of mm -hmm. getting into it, dashboards are a famous example there, then people go to the dashboard because they don't have to search around. And that means they're not likely to click on something else or enter internal wiki into Google and then realize we're going to some completely weird address. So that's... Right. But another point of, yeah, making it easy for people and making it easily recognizable and not telling them, oh, make sure there's no semicolon into in the URL or no percent sign because that does bad things to the URL, <laughs> which uh, even as a, someone who's in IT, half of the time I'm clicking on the link as soon as I'm saying, yeah, that's kind of halfway <laughs> legitimate. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to uh, dissuade people from human nature, I suppose, in certain cases. So, uh, another, another, uh, keeping in the topic of identity management, and again, trying to align that with the overarching theme of of AI. Uh, we've seen a lot of organizations that, and going back to ChatGPT as well, we've seen a lot of organizations that obviously understand the power of large language models to do a variety of tasks. Um, I think that uh, what uh, GPT-4, actually the next iteration of GPT came out uh, today, I want to say, to the general uh, general availability. 
But anyway, uh, so a lot of organizations uh, have done one of two things. They've either told their employees they cannot use chat GPT in any sense of the way, or they have told uh, their employees that they are taking a version of chat GPT and putting it on their local VPN or intranet or what have you. Uh, so, you know, what types of uh, security issues do you think companies could be dealing with uh, if they don't if they don't stick to ex uh, or adhere to strict policies on how to use these generative tools? Have you seen anything happen yet in your line of work or is it all kind of speculation at this point? Uh, interested in your thoughts on that. So we have seen attacks on uh, utilizing language models and utilizing these kind of um, learning tools generally based on, okay, we, we have data from a data breach, typically uh, at that particular time, not typically, it was, I think, say, 16-year-old kid bought and then fed the passwords into ChatGPT and then got the most likely password for the remote systems out and was lucky with one of the engineers and downloaded tons of data and kind of tried to sell it, but really was uh, not really good at all the <laughs> all the surroundings in it. Uh, so he was good at the ChatGPT chat engineering, but not at the selling part and his own security. <laughs> so it's uh, like like in the movies, they their security guys went in and said, okay, you either work for us or you go to jail. But um, that was the <laughs> one we've seen where AI was used and used quite successfully. The other one we had quite at the beginning when ChatGPT came out was that someone loaded social media data and language data from a customer and a customer domain in it and then built scam emails that said, okay, please reset my password. I'm on the way to this conference which they downloaded from, I think it was Facebook at that point, where the mm -hmm. executive sent it to six or seven executive assistants. And they and then they had one reset the password for exactly that executive and they got financial data out of it, which um, mm. I think uh, was an adversary overseas. So they've never caught up where it actually went. But yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. And that's probably just the tip of the iceberg, right? It's, uh, I'm sure things will get more challenging for people to differentiate between what's a real, uh, what's a real email or, or message. You know, we even have text messages. I, I receive text messages that are purportedly from executives of certain companies telling me, you know, click this link, uh, because I can't help you right now. I'm in a conference and I don't know where they got my uh, you know, my personal phone number from and connected that to where I work uh, or, you know, wherever I was working at the time. But apparently, you know, and I don't put my personal phone number on the internet, uh, or I, at least I don't think it's out there, but who knows? <laughs> That's the thing. The other thing is, especially with scam emails, we're used to either having the ones which are done really badly and so we filter them mentally, okay, if there are 400 grammar mistakes, it's probably not my boss sending them. Or we are such a high value target that someone manually types them. 
And there you, you get so few that assistant one calling assistant two can get through them. And now with ChatGPT, we can just feed the data in and create like these high value attacks against the mass of low value attacks. So kind of a new mm -hmm. scenario mm -hmm. there or the old ones just combined, depending on how you see it. <laughs> Interesting. Kevin, um, we're, we're, we're uh, going to wrap up here, but uh, before we do, if you were to give the career advice to a younger version of yourself, what would you tell yourself today? I think if I get myself one advice, uh, don't be afraid and learn how to speak to people. Nothing related to technology, but communication skills are probably the one skill that ChatGPT will never take away from us and which building confidence takes lots of practice and what I wish I had started earlier with. <laughs> Very true. We've echoed the same thing on our show before, so uh, we're right there with you. Yeah. So as a uh, person of very few words here myself, and I uh, try to be very succinct, I want to say thank you for joining our Unriveted crew. Um, it was a pleasure having you on. And with that, that is a wrap. And until next time, thank you. Thank you.